What is up, people? I'm Garrett Johnson, and you're listening to Consider Before Consuming, a podcast by Fight the New Drug. Before we jump into today's episode, we want to remind you of a couple things. First of all, uh, No Poor November is right around the corner, and Rep the Movement Day is on November 22nd this year. We just dropped new merchandise, so you can go get your new merch for Rep the Movement Day at uh, ftnd.org forward slash shop. That's ftnd.org forward slash shop. For more details on No Poor November and Rep the Movement Day, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Fight the New Drug or visit ftnd.org. On today's episode, we sit down with Richie Hardcore. Richie was a professional fighter for many years and now does a lot of coaching and also educating. He's passionate about educating individuals on the harmful effects of pornography, sexual violence, and sexual exploitation. During our conversation, we talk about healthy masculinity, some of the benefits he's noticed from living a life free from pornography. We also talk about pop culture and so much more. During this conversation, Richie quotes song lyrics that are explicit. Listener discretion is advised. We hope you enjoy this episode of Consider Before Consuming. We want to welcome to the podcast Richie Hardcore. And uh, welcome, Richie. Hey, thank you, Garrett. Thanks for talking with me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for spending time with us today. And it's pretty cool that we can connect because you are currently in... New Zealand. New Zealand. I wish I was in New Zealand with you. That'd be pretty cool. It's a good time. There's not a whole lot going on here, but it's, you know, scenically beautiful and people are kind and the the food is natural. I love it. That's great. And we're all the way across the all across the world and we're connecting and so we feel fortunate to uh to have you on the podcast today. And just a little bit of backstory for our listeners as we reached out to Richie, um we we requested that he come on the podcast, and he's like, yeah, absolutely. But he did give us the warning that he's like, I swear a lot. <laughs> and he, he, he basically was asking permission if it was okay to swear. And, um, of course, we said, yeah, that's up to you. Like, you, you do you. And so, Richie, just know uh, you do you, man. Thank you, Garrett. I'll try my best to um, be on best behavior. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> we can make up some, like, fake curse words for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm open. I'm open to suggestion. Yeah, yeah. My my mom would be real pumped if I swore less. So, <laughs> so if we can help her out, that'd be cool. Okay. Well, I actually watched your TED talk recently, and that was really cool to see. And I saw that you weren't afraid to uh, to swear on the TED talk stages. So <laughs> I think that's a true part of that's like your authenticity, right? Swearing is part of it's part of your authentic self. I grew up with a dad who cursed a lot, you know, and then I kind of, I grew up in the gym, you know, I, uh, for, for that backstory, like I used to be like a professional kickboxer here in New Zealand and now I'm a coach and trainer and I'm just around dudes a lot and we've always kind of sworn, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which isn't, it's like, in I'm not your blood. It's a, uh, yeah. It's in my blood. It's part of my DNA. There we go. <clears throat> um, speaking of that, Richie. Um, one of the first questions I wanted to ask was kind of related to your fighting career, but also related to your last name. Like, is your last name real? Okay, so, so it's it's actually it's actually my legal middle name. Like, so I changed it uh, by like deed poll when I was maybe twenty six or twenty seven. Um, hardcore is actually a style of music 
that came out of the punk scene in the United States. And I used to do radio here in New Zealand. And I did the show called Viva La Hardcore. And then Hardcore was also my ring name when I was fighting. And people just started using it as a nickname. Like, yo, what's up, Hardcore? How you going, Hardcore? And, uh, and I thought it would be funny to change my name when I was in my mid 20s <laughs> and i ne- and i never thought that in my 30s i'd be an educator and activist around pornography because <laughs> it is mildly amusing when i step onto a stage or i go to school to talk about porn and i'm like yo i'm richie hardcore but just to clarify i was never a porn star because right. because of my name some people presume that you know it's interesting that didn't cross my mind what was crossing my mind was the fact that you were a fighter and had that name I didn't think about the fact that you also the, like hardcore pornography. I didn't even make that connection until well, you just I, said that. Well, I never, I never did either. But I was speaking in Australia uh, earlier this year alongside um, a feminist educator and activist called uh, Melinda Tankard Reist, and she put a thing up on her Facebook. She was like, "Really great to present alongside former porn star Richie Hardcore." <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, yo, sh- yo, no, 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 you got it all wrong. You need to change it." Yeah. Oh man, uh, I didn't even yeah. think about that. Yeah, I didn't think about it either. But now I have to like put that disclaimer out there. Yeah, and you have to stick with it because that's your name now. It is my name. I mean, I could always change it back, but. I don't know. I've been Richie Hug for over a decade now, so my vote not- my vote is to keep it the same. It's a, it's a good name. Thank, thank you, Garrett. So I'm also interested. I know this doesn't have to do with our topic on the the, the harmful effects of pornography and how that is related to sexual aggression and sexual violence, but I'm I'm interested in your fighting career. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So I started martial arts when I was 13 years old. I did taekwondo for five years, and I fought um, competitively in that sport until I started Muay Thai when I was 17. Had my first Muay Thai or Thai boxing fight when I was 18, and then, then I continued to fight regularly for kind of 15 years. Uh, and while I never reached like an elite level, I've, I reached a pretty good level here in New Zealand and won national titles and South Pacific titles and competed here and competed abroad and when I retired I've moved into coaching so I've been coaching for uh, maybe over 10 years now um, yeah I sort of coached and fought at the same time and now I just I coach uh, alongside my other work and it's really rewarding and it allows me to I guess I was talking to a friend of mine who's also an, he's an MMA coach and it keeps us youthful you know you're always working with with young people and helping them reach their goals and it kind of co-informs the work I do around sexual violence and healthy relationships because I'm aware of the pressures and the impacts that I guess the digital environment can have on young people because they're talking to me about their real life as much as they're talking to me about, you know, kickboxing and martial arts. So it's kind of worked out kind of well, really. That is pretty cool. So you kind of split your time between coaching uh, martial arts and then also really you're coaching other you're you're coaching youth in another way as well in regards to educating them on the harmful effects of pornography and and um unhealthy masculinity is that correct yeah that's right yeah it's all kind of happened organically like i never had a plan that this is what i'd be doing with my time on earth but yeah people just started i used to do radio here in new zealand and i, I guess developed a some degree of a public um, profile and people started inviting me to talk about what I knew about. <laughs> um, so how did you begin to 
I guess, how did you come into the arena of talking about the harmful effects of of, of porn, of porn and domestic violence and sexual abuse? Yeah, sure. Um, well, okay. So going back to being a, a late teenager, I listened to really politicized music. I was really listening to a lot of political punk rock and hardcore and uh, hip hop, and it really started making me reflect about the world that we have grown up in and the, and, the, and what I was consuming. Because when I was a young man, like I did look at porn, I did consume all this sort of stuff that I talk about now is problematic. I went to an all-boys high school. No one ever told me differently. Um, so you just sort of do what everyone else is doing. But then I started listening to, I guess, countercultural music and started hearing songs about feminism and women's rights. And it really made me reflect on what I was consuming. I, I went vegetarian because I didn't want to hurt animals. So I started thinking like, oh, where, where's the porn that I'm looking at coming from? And I, and I just started um, looking online for, for information and I, and, and I started reading, um, you know, feminist literature and, and feminist academia and it just really made sense to me. It made me wake up to the fact that what I'm consuming can have really negative impact on other people and it have a negative impact on me. Um, it's interesting to kind of hear your realization of what occurred to to help you realize what you were consuming did make a difference. Oh, totally. When it, you know, when I started having long-term uh sexual relationships with a, you know, a partner, like I remember one of them was like this is concurrently, not all at the same time. You know, I didn't have like several girlfriends at once. Um, but one of my early relationships, my girlfriend was like, I feel like we're in a porno when, when we're making out. And I was like, oh, and I was really taken aback by that because um, I guess I'd consumed so much porn without even thinking about it. The manner in which I connected intimately was uh, shaped by what I'd been, you know, consuming. You know, like we are what we eat to some degree. Right. And and if no one teaches you like that sex is about more than the physicality of it, you can recreate that when sex can actually be this wonderful, fun, emotionally connecting experience. But a steady diet, I've come to understand academically now that I work in this space of um, objectifying media can take all the, the, the really meaningful stuff out of a sexual connection. Um, is that when you started to realize that it was affecting your sexual template when she mentioned yeah. that, or did you notice before then? <clears throat> no, I, I, I think I might've noticed before then, but that really stood out to me. And so ever since then, I guess I've been on a journey of, uh, trying to develop an authentic sexuality. Does that make sense? I think a lot of us are exposed to this model of what sex is and isn't without, ever having had the opportunity to figure out who we really are sexually. And I see that day in and day out now that I, I work in this space and I talk with academics and educators and politicians and kids. And before they've had a meaningful conversation about what good sex is, they've already consumed a lot of pornography, which has very uh, literally wild them, wired them to have that template like you're talking about. And... It doesn't mean it's going to be there forever, but it, I think it is kind of sad that kids or young people growing up never get to figure out who they really are sexually and emotionally before that model of porn is imposed upon them. Because whether 
we like it or not, whether kids are looking for porn intentionally or not, they're going to encounter it because it's so ubiquitous. So I think we really need to fortify them and inoculate them and give them critical filters by having meaningful sex education and consent education, education about pornography, so they aren't necessarily going to absorb and recreate what they're consuming. A portion of our listeners are going to be parents right now, and uh, a portion of them are going to say that my kid doesn't look at pornography. And uh, I just wanted to mention one study that kind of stood out as you were talking. It was done by the NSPCC. It was a survey, and they said that one-tenth in this survey, one-tenth of children ages 12 to 13 consider themselves addicted to pornography. Do you find that kids are viewing pornography? Is it ubiquitous? Oh, definitely, dude. I've never talked directly with a young person in person that has told me that they're addicted to porn. But um, I've had a lot of... What, I think actually when I first was interviewed by Fight the New Drug, that interview went super viral. I think the most viral thing I've ever done. I had people from all around the world messaging me. It was really overwhelming. And so many of them were like, I'm, ad- I'm, addicted, to por- I'm addicted to porn. Um, where do I get help? Where do I, how do I stop looking at this? Blah, 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 blah. So that was a real eye-opening experience for me because you read the academic literature and you're like, oh, yeah. Porn addiction's a thing, but when real people are asking for help, that's when it, it brings it home. Do kids look at porn? A hundred percent. I actually been meaning to write a, a blog about this because I spoke at a school a couple of months ago, and you know I've spoken to thousands, tens of thousands of ki- young people now, teenagers, adults too, and these young people they knew the solutions to their own problems. They want an education about porn because they're experiencing it or the boys this this was a group of young girls boys are looking at it and expecting them to recreate what they're consuming there's a real pressure on teenage girls to live up to the standards that are set for them not just by porn but by porn culture as well you know like we have a pornified broader pop culture i think that we need to understand and talk about too so yeah it's it's a it's a real feature and i'm not doing it from i'm not a I'm not a, like a, I don't believe, I, I think, I, I guess I'm pro-sex. Like I'm, I, I'm, I, have, I think everyone should develop a healthy sexuality. I'm not looking at this from a don't have sex until you're married point of view. But I am saying in my work that sex is a really important part of who we are as human beings. And there's healthy sex and there's not so healthy sex. And there's good sex and there's bad sex. And um, people can use sex like they use drugs to escape from their feelings or for unhealthy sources of validation. And, um, and all of that's really damaging. It can have lasting impacts on someone's emotional health and mental health and physical health. So we need to do a much better job of protecting our young people from porn so they um, develop into being healthy whole humans. So in your opinion, Richie, how do we do that? How do we, how do we protect our kids I think if you're if you're a parent, you gotta you've gotta you gotta you know you said that a lot of parents are like not my kid. I'm <laughs> I would challenge you. I'm like yeah, your kid knows way more about the internet than you do, homie. Like one hundred percent. They they're so savvy with social media and Instagram and Snapchat and um, it's not like just going to a porn site is how kids look at porn. Like people can look on blogs or they can look on Twitter or you know it's everywhere. So you need to have an honest, brave conversation with your young person or your young people 
So when they do invariably encounter it, they're not going to take it as the gospel. It's kind of like a, a vaccination, you know, like when you get, you give a baby vaccination so they don't necessarily get sick as they get older. I think it's the same with honest conversations around porn and around sex. If you teach them what they need to know about uh, these things, they're far less likely to look in all the wrong places for the information that they need to know. All young people, or nearly all young people, have a natural curiosity towards sex. We're biologically programmed to be interested and want to have it. And then we live in a broader culture, which is very sexualized. So if they don't know about sex or like, how do I give a blowjob or how do I give my girlfriend oral sex? They're going to Google these things and what's going to come up isn't necessarily some sort of neutral information source pornography is and pornography is not neutral pornography is often aggressive and violent and um we we've sexualized uh domination of women by men and those aren't healthy messages for um, impressionable young people to grow up on we really need to get that information in schools as much as we need parents to take ownership of the problem and then i think um here in New Zealand, we're starting to look at more technological in innovations and law changes to make sure that we can limit access to pornography for young people. Just like you can't buy cigarettes or alcohol till you're 18 or you're 21, we need to make sure uh, the same thing happens with porn because at the moment there's no age verification data. Everything is freely available on the internet. Uh, anyone with a smartphone or access to the internet can look at whatever it is that they want to look at or even if they don't want to look at it it'll come across um you know their email inbox or they'll click on a link and go to some weird website so ensuring that we have good public policy from a governmental downwards level or i guess in your country a state level might, might, you know you've got different federal governments um is is important making sure that that any kid can't just go and look up some messed up stuff right is going to help you know, like prote protection through limiting access. That's that's really important. So how does a person do that? Well, you write your elected representative. You talk to your, I don't know, the, the officials, <laughs> wherever you might be listening to this. Write a letter to your, what, you have a Congress? You have Congress people? We don't have a Congress in New Zealand. Yeah. We're a small country. You know, we, we would write out MPs. We have MPs and we have pretty direct lines to them. You know, you write an email or you start a petition or you you do something to get involved in the political process to ensure that, um, we have a good sex education that's meaningful and equipping kids for the world that we live in. Not the world that we want to live in, but the world that we live in. And it's not an ideal world, but sticking our heads in the sand isn't going to make anyone better, happier, or healthier. So we need to address the problems as they are, not as we want them to be. And then, yeah, taking ownership of it ourselves too. So it's like a top-down with the policy and then a bottom-up with schools and families. We have, in the United States, we've had over 10 states declare pornography a public health crisis, or a, I guess not all states have declared a public health crisis. I guess the word I should use is that there have been over 10 states that have declared pornography a public health concern. Wow. What does that look like? What, what, what was the basis for that? Because that's a big deal. Really what it is is just an acknowledgement. Um, so I guess one thing that it will do is it will provide... Um, opportunities for more research to be done because you're acknowledging that this is a concern and because there have been so many states that have gotten on board and, and there's many more to come. So, um, mm. but it just takes time. It, do, it does take time. Yeah. 
one thing I wanted to ask you regarding honest conversation is I think some parents are very scared to, and they're concerned about having honest conversation with their kids because they, one of the concerns that comes up is, uh, I don't want to uh, spark curiosity for my boy or my girl. What would be your talk off to that, Richie? Your kid's probably already curious. <laughs> you know, like, I th think of just pop music. Think of the music videos that our kids look on, uh, look at on YouTube. A lot of them are really sexualized. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but that, that that's how they are. You know, kids have got hormones and biology, and you know, sex isn't a bad thing. Um, so I think all kids are going to have a, a natural curiosity towards sex, and you know, most kids know about porn by the time they're a teenager anyway. I think the average age of first exposure to pornography is 11 to 12 years old, uh, going by the literature here in New Zealand. And that's similar to the United States, as far as I understand. And so I think that's an unwarranted fear. I think I think a lot of kids, like, so I often do this. I'll go and speak in a high school, and then we'll talk to the parents in the evening, right? Like, you have a public public meeting that anyone can come to. And I'll ask the kids a bunch of questions and they'll generally know all the answers. And I'll ask the parents the same questions and they don't know any of the answers. Oh, interesting. What, yeah. are, what are some of those questions? I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but do you remember? No, no, no. Yeah, for sure. So, um, okay. So I talk about how porn has shaped our, uh, our pop culture to some degree as well. So I, I break down a bunch of lyrics from like G-Eazy or Post Malone about six and and the way that we talk about sex and look at some of the language that's in those songs because these are like top 50 artists in spotify right right it, and i'm like what does this word mean uh, say can can i be frank with you yes so the word smashed right like jeezy's got this lyrics like slipped up with my ex and smashed again and i asked the kids what does smash mean in this context They're like have sex with right. you know, like very matter-of-factly you ask parents like what is this song talking about they're like i don't know smashed did he like beat her up right and i'm like no nah, that that's how we talk about sex in this day and age we we really have turned sex into this aggressive violent act you know post malone I, i'm not even saying don't listen to these artists but i am saying be aware, you need to of be aware of what they're listening to because when we talk about sex like smashed or i'd hit that or I'd tap that or you know, often you hear "I beat the pussy up." Like that's a that's a real common phrase in in, in music these days. Another one is "slayed." Yeah, slayed that pussy. I killed that pussy, and it's like, yo, why are we glorifying such violent language about something as nice as sex? Right? Do you know? We've we've really, you know, or can, can, again, can I be frank here? Yes. Like I fucked your main bitch is like a common refrain in a lot of hip hop music. We've really uh weaponized sex like i'm gonna have sex with your with my enemy you know like well, that's my enemy's partner to hurt her her or hurt him emotionally right. that's that's so messed up and then we so many so many millions of people are getting their sexual gratification from pornography where all the research tells us we've sexualized aggression so what is that going to lead to in real life well i would argue that it would lead to v at minimum, very poor understandings of consent, very mm, poor understanding sort of respectful relationship is. So if you're if you're worried about, well, I'm gonna spark curiosity in my in my kid about porn or about sex. 
I'm like, yo, homie, like, that, that wait, <laughs> you're up. way too late. <laughs> you're, I'm like, yeah, you're way too late. You know, like that, that horse has left the gate, you know? You need to deal with things. There's a, because uh, you are. work with kids in New Zealand and in Australia, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I actually also got a couple of emails from some schools in America and I was like, yo, I would love to <laughs> come to America. That would be amazing. That's, I love America. Cool. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I visit Australia pretty regularly. Um, I've spoken at universities over there, actually, um, in uh, schools and I've spoken at music festivals. I just finished this insane tour with um, my dear friends in English heavy metal band called Architects, who are very, very huge in the metal world. And the, the boys invited me to go on stage before there's two bands, two warm up acts. This is like, these are like sold out shows, like four and a half thousand people or whatever, and talk about uh, gendered violence. And I was like, are you serious? That's, that's pretty cool. And the, dude, it was wild, Garrett. So I was very nervous and my anxiety, I'm quite an anxious person. I got super, like these mad anxiety kind of attacks, but I did it anyway. And the feedback's been phenomenal, like phenomenal. I was flooded by messages from, sorry, flooded on Instagram by messages from people who'd seen the talk or heard of the talk that were either really appreciative or they'd been through an experience of domestic violence or sexual assault and were grateful that this conversation was being had because quite often the people who need to hear the sorts of talks that you and I are involved in, Garrett, aren't going to seek them out, right. are they? So so, so, how do we take the uh, mountain to Muhammad, as it were, if Muhammad's not going to come into the mountain? So the guys gave me a great opportunity. And it was talking like 2,000 people, 3,000 people, 3,000 people, 4,500 people. And in just three minutes, you know, the people doing there for a lecture, they're there for a heavy metal concert. But uh, we, we blew up this massive map, like huge on-screen graphic of uh the australian femicide map which is a body research by an australian journalist called sherelle moody and every heart on the map of australia on this map you can go google it like it's an interactive map go, go, on, go on google maps and you click on a heart and every map is a every heart on the map is a story of a murdered woman or child because in australia a woman is murdered on average every week by her partner or former partner you know like domestic violence is a, it's just a huge problem so that image alone was enough to make people go, whoa, it's an <laughs> what is going on? It's our eye opener. And so while I'm not saying looking at pornography makes you a violent person, I'm not saying listening to hip hop that is uh, misogynistic makes you a sexist person. I, we do need to understand that our broader culture does contribute to shaping very negative ideas about women in particular and also pushes men into these really limited boxes of what it means to be a man you know you have to be powerful and have money and have muscles and like have heaps of shorties and do you know what i mean like we 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 construct the gender identity of masculinity in a very limited way and then we wonder why suicide is such a huge problem for young men in particular well when you can't talk about your feelings because that's what girls do it pushes boys into this box that that's not healthy to be in so anyway, yeah, I talk, I've talked to Australia a bunch of times, and I talk here in New Zealand. Like, I've been to our parliament, and I've been to a million and one schools, and yeah, I'm doing some really cool work with our Ministry of Social Development right now about organizing workshops for um, athletes, because I'm in the gym all the time, right? And that's where guys hang out and talk about guy stuff. So how do you help trainers 
um, know how to have a healthy conversation that doesn't recreate all the the bad ideas that we grew up with and perhaps can be a circuit breaker. So if a young man comes in the gym and is like, oh, my girlfriend broke up with me, the coach doesn't say, well, how do you get over the last one and get on top of a new one? Do you know like Just that sort of... Just perpetuating unhealthy... Yeah, perpetuates... Unhealthy behavior. Exactly, bro. Yeah, exactly. So if a coach can be like, all right, well, should we talk about your feelings? <laughs> or this is how you go to a counselor or it's all right to cry or... Don't make yourself feel better by just going on like a promiscuous alcohol fueled rampage, like because that's not going to be good for anyone. Then that's changing culture over time. Right, that's cool. I uh, one reason why I asked about the Australia thing was because I was looking at a study from Australia. It was a cross sectional study, and it showed that in this particular study, maybe we'll link it with this episode. It showed that in this in this uh, study, pornography that was being consumed, seventy percent of it showed men being dominant. And so like you were talking mm. about where we're learning, we're always learning. And if you go to like what Dr. Norman Deutsch says about sexual templates, they're, they're molded by our experiences and our culture. And you've mentioned like Post Malone and lyrics happening in pop culture. And then the pornography and being consumed is showing dominance and violence and aggression. And oftentimes that is a man against a woman. So yeah, it's like, it's learned behavior and our, our kids, their, their sexual templates are being molded by all these different things. And so for the listeners out there that are kind of hesitant to, uh, to approach this and have a healthy conversation and honest conversation with their kids, it's like you need to, because you need to be a part of that molding process. Right on Garrett. It's a hundred percent true. Cause we're teaching boys. Uh, I read a body. I was uh, actually a good friend of mine that I work with here, Joe Robertson. She's an educator and researcher around sex and pornography, and she just gave this brilliant TED talk. Brilliant, like what's, one of the best the I've ever seen it. it. Or what's uh, her name? Her name is Joe Robertson. It's not online okay. yet. Um, I have to. But when it is, when it is, I promise okay. I'll send it to you because it's one of the it's one of the best, dude. Like it's truly a great talk on pornography. Cool. It's powerful and inspiring. But she talked about in the research that she's conducted that pornography is not just teaching boys how to act. We're seeing an increasing number of young women and girls look at pornography too because they want to know what to expect or what's expected of them. So everyone is getting their roles shaped for them by um, a really limited view set of what sex and power dynamics look like. And I would argue, and the research supports, as you know and as you're talking about, it's not always a, a, a healthy model. I, I've talked to so many women through my presentations who just take like sexual harassment as part. That's just how it is. Guys pinching their butts at a club or wolf whistling at them or uh, yelling stuff out of the car window at them or just that, that daily sort of oppression, for want of a better word, is something that so many women have grown up expecting because it is so culturally normalized and porn is part and parcel of that you know porn objectifies women in particular i'm not saying men aren't victims of domestic violence and sexual violence too they are and we need to acknowledge that but predominantly the the violence and the and the the the, the, the power dynamics are asymmetrical and that's men dominating women or putting women down or being aggressive towards women and um so many women have just come to expect that and it's sad, man. Like, I go into schools and I talk to a guidance counselor. Like, yeah, this is frank, but young girls are having anal sex at 14 years old and getting, like, very serious physical injuries. Uh, 
and needing to go to hospital get like surgery and stuff because they're trying to recreate the pornography that their boyfriends are consuming are, are getting their model from and and they, they forget that porn is fake man like those are actors and actresses who are paid to do that and just because it looks like they like it it doesn't mean they do right one thing i wanted to ask you was because you are with youth so often um i wanted to know what your opinion was like what's what's first base nowadays richie oh dude anal sex like i was i threw a funny meme the other day and it was like remember the days when there were there were first second third and fourth bases and like holding hands with someone is a big deal well it's all the reverse now in a day and age of like hookup apps and tinder and grinder and porn where everyone on the first date because that's what you do to be cool and then maybe one day you might like get to know each other's last name and hold hands you know like there's so much um so much of our modern uh landscape is um someone using someone else for whatever reason it's incredibly sad it's just incredibly sad in a day and age where everyone's got mental health problems and struggles and we're increasingly lonely and disconnected and then now sex has just become this thing that we do and it's so throwaway and and, and mm, transactional for one of a better word so people are expected to just like jump straight into you know hardcore sex scenes on the first date with someone that they met online and then i thought i thought oh, yeah. you were gonna say i'm actually surprised that you said the anal was the uh well, first base i thought you would say uh, that sexting was first base okay i'm sorry I'm, I'm 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 i guess i'm being lighthearted we're not lighthearted but i'm being flippant right. there uh you're, you're right yeah sexting is uh, again that's another huge part i mean it's a whole different conversation um i guess i was thinking in more literal terms but yeah you're right um Again, that's another feature of, of, of what young people are doing, is there's this big pressure to send nudes. I was at a school the other day, literally like three weeks ago, and a young man, 14, 15 years old, put his hand up and said, it's all right to ask for nudes um, in front of all the other kids because it was so normal. Like he wasn't embarrassed about asking that question. Uh, and we have new laws here in New Zealand, and I believe you have in the United States and other countries around revenge porn. Because we know so many young people, in fact, all people of all demographics are sending nudes or sexually explicit images or videos to one another, but then they often are not mindful that consent applies digitally as well, and therefore those images are on, or the relationship will end, so they'll try and hurt the other person's feelings by putting it online, and again, like I'm not saying sexually explicit imagery between consenting adults who are you know adults not children um is inherently a bad thing but we need to be mindful that there's quite a lot of pressure on that for young people to recreate the media environment that we've created for them to to navigate and it's really damaging um one thing i wanted to ask you richie since you grew up um and you said you you would turn to pornography um, you, you mentioned how you had that girl that was like, Hey, she will, she woke you up in the sense of like, Hey, this might be affecting you and it's affecting our relationship since kind of walking away from pornography, since you've done that, what benefits have you experienced personally? That's a really big question. No one's ever asked me that before. Um, thanks. Yeah, for sure. Okay. <laughs> Hello world. I'm going to talk about some really personal stuff. <laughs> um, 
I guess I've had to learn how to connect with. By the way, uh, if you don't want to say it, no problem. Okay, no, no, okay. it's fine. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good question. I don't care, man. Okay, like, cool. like what, whatever. You got, I'm gonna have haters anyway. I don't even care. You know, sure. like, like if you're gonna talk about contentious stuff, you might as well just go all in. I reckon. <laughs> For sure. Uh, I look at the world differently. To be honest, when I was a young man, as like as politically aware as I think I was, I still really objectified women. I took a lot of. Um, I was quite an insecure guy, and I think I took a lot of. This is all retrospective learning. Looking back now, now that I'm in my late thirties, I think I took a lot of uh, validation from being with girls, attractive women. And while I was never out in the clubs cruising, trying to pick up girls, when I had some sort of flirtation or sexual attention from a woman, on some level, it made me feel good. But actually, what I was was lonely and insecure, and I didn't think very much of myself. And um, I think porn taught me to objectify women to some degree. And, it's, and, and the longer I have been without porn, the deeper I have come to... Um, how do I say it? Appreciate women or value? Well, that's the other thing. I have this weird thing that might sound paradoxical to some listeners but like women have always been my best friends i've always had female friends more than guy friends i'm kind of a sensitive dude and i like talking about a whole range of different issues that don't always take place in the kickboxing gym you know so i've always had a lot of close female friends i've never just been like all the dudes yeah well i'm not trying to sound like oh hey look at me i'm like a sensitive new age guy i'm just saying instead of hanging with lots of dudes and being with the guys you just connect well with females yeah I, I connect well with females and so the more i'd listen to their experiences about how their boyfriends were or the guys treated them the more i reflected on the point i was consuming and the fact that i was part of the problem you know Interesting. And, and, and 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 it made me start looking at yeah the way i had sex and what sex meant to me and the importance of sex and um the more i got academically educated about these issues because now i literally work for like the government talking about porn and sexual violence prevention right um so so i get to read all this highbrow stuff but it's all been part of my own personal unpacking of what i was conditioned with does does that make sense so that was parallel with my professional development my personal development and now i'm in a really amazing relationship with a really amazing um partner and um I guess when I think about it, like our sex life is not the sex life I had when I was in my twenties. It's, it's about like our, I don't know, it's about our hearts connecting more than our bodies connecting, do you know, or as much as our bodies connecting. Because I know that sounds real. I know that sounds real corny, (laughs) but, but it's true. Yeah. I never, I never, I never knew how to make love with my girlfriend and I love my you know, when I was young and I was in the long-term relationship and I've had a couple of serious girlfriends and casual relationships, like I really genuinely loved or cared about those people, but I didn't know how to express that with my body because I had this template of what sex is. And it's taken me quite a while, I, so, I to be honest with you, Garrett, to unpack that and learn how to not just like make out, but to like, I don't know, make love for one of a better term. That's really cool. That's really cool. That's amazing. 
I like to. I like to. Well, I, like, I don't. Know if, I think it is amazing. <laughs> I think you were just about to say I don't know if it's amazing. Is that what you're saying? No, yeah, I was like, I don't know if it's amazing. Some people listening out there must think I'm a freak. No, <laughs> like, the reality is, I mean, of course, we, like you talked about the haters, and it's easy to criticize and condemn and complain and and call names and be a pessimist. But the reality is, is what you did, that transformation of your template, of your sexual template, the the awareness that you have, is amazing. And I think it's for it's important for our listeners to hear uh, what can happen as you start to be more conscious, you start to consider before consuming. Because uh, you can see great benefits, like you mentioned. So that's that's cool. I just think that if we can live in alignment as best as we can, then we're going to be happier. Uh, like you know, I, I like I said, I've been like um, a vegetarian for twenty years, and I'm working on going vegan, and I'm mindful of like uh, what products I consume because I don't want my money to go to sh- shitty companies. And I'm not perfect with that, but I, I try, you know. And I, and, and I think it would be a, a gross hypocrisy for me to not reflect on pornography as part of that. Yeah, that's I like that. It makes sense to me. So um, one thing I did want to mention was the name of your TED Talk. We'll try to link that to the uh, episode. It, the name of your TED Talk is Unpacking Healthy Masculin- Unhealthy Masculinity and Teaching Boys to Be Better Men. So I think you're a great example of that, Richie, because you talked about how you had to do some unpacking, right? And then yeah, uh, and massively now you're teaching others to do the same thing. So that's pretty cool. Thank you, man. I think if we all can heal our wounds or fill the gaps in our own knowledge and share that wherever we may be able to, that's how society gets better. Like no one knows. We all don't know what we don't know, right? Like I think there's a real problem in like call out culture and woke culture and socially progressive culture. Like quite often we attack people for being incorrect or not knowing the right stuff, but how are people going to um, spontaneously combust knowledge, you know? I think it's on people who might have been doing the work or academically or personally to compassionately and kindly share their new informations and understandings in a way that brings people into the fold and brings people into the conversation and doesn't just make them feel ashamed and bad. Um, and that's, I guess, what I'm trying to do the best as I can. I'm not perfect. I'm still learning. There's still a million and one things that I that I don't know, but I'm really be happy to be on this journey and doing this work. Yeah, well, you're doing a lot, and uh, the world's a better place because of Richie Hardcore. So, <laughs> you're kind, man. Thanks, Garrett. You're good for my self esteem, man. I appreciate <laughs> for you. Sure, man. Well, uh, let's stay in touch, Richie. It was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, it was really nice to talk with you too. Thank you for your time and your energy. And Garrett, you're you're, you're reaching so many people, and you're having so many honest conversations with people. Um, from all around the world, and I just want to acknowledge your 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 work too. So, so that's thank the you, goal, man. That's the goal. So we're in it together. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Consider Before Consuming. Consider Before Consuming is brought to you by Fight the New Drug. Fight the New Drug is a non-religious and non-legislative organization that exists to provide individuals the opportunity to make an informed decision regarding pornography by raising awareness on its harmful effects using only science, facts, and personal accounts. As you can tell from this conversation, Richie is passionate about educating youth on the harmful effects of pornography. If you're a person who wants to discuss the harmful effects of pornography and sexual exploitation in effective ways, you should check out our three-part documentary, Brain Heart World. You can watch it for free by going to brainheartworld.org. 
Another great tool is our conversation blueprint. You can find that at ftnd.org forward slash blueprint. That's ftnd.org forward slash blueprint.